0: Worship team, you may be seated. Church family, I want to invite you uh, as we get ready to open God's Word, the Bible, to grab a Bible if you have one, turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to use the Pew Bible there in front of you, and um, that will be a blessing as we continue in our series here. And If you're using the Pew Bible, it should be page 857, Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 22 as we read God's word. Maybe have a mobile device; you're welcome to use that as we navigate this series called "Christmas in the Shadows." And um, as you're looking for Luke chapter two there in the New Testament, we've been doing this series called "Christmas in the Shadows." And and again, as uh, as Kay just prayed for us, this is typically supposed to be a joyous time, but the reality is, a lot of times there are shadows over our lives. There's discouraging things happening, there's depression, there's anxiety, and um, and the reality is a lot of us are asking, we're, we're trying to kind of fake it till you make it through the holidays, you heard that statement before, and uh, just trying to put on a good face and and, uh, and deal with everything, but the reality is there's a shadow over our lives, and we're struggling, and what we as a church, what the Bible teaches is that God is with us in the midst of those shadows, amen? In fact, it was uh, David who wrote in Psalm 23, if you're familiar with that psalm, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, is what Psalm 23 says. And so here we are celebrating Emmanuel, God with us, and he is with us in those shadow moments. And so we are not left alone. And so we're also looking at some of the characters of the Christmas story who are kind of in the shadows. Yeah, we know uh, baby Jesus, we know Mary, but... Uh, we've been navigating some of these other folks. we looked at Joseph, who is sometimes in the shadows there, really has no written lines in the whole thing. We looked at the shepherds, who are kind of just stinky. Uh, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth, sort of Jesus' perhaps aunt and uncle and, and uh, parents to John the Baptist. And, and today we're going to look at two uh, old saints who uh, sometimes are not typically in our manger scenes, right? you got a manger scene. And uh, have you seen some of the other manger scenes? Like, we had everybody now. To the manger scenes, like, we'll add, um, and, I, and there's nothing wrong with this. I, I support this, R2-D2, um, and C-3PO from Star Wars. I've seen them in a the manger scene. They come, like, in figurines you can put there near the manger. Uh, we've seen the elf on the shelf. I mean, because what's Christmas uh, for a lot of parents without the elf on the shelf? And uh, and so uh, there's a lot of different people in the manger scene. But Zachariah, and uh, Zach, excuse me, not Zachariah, Simeon and Anna, who we're going to talk about this morning, are typically people that we don't see in the manger scene. So who are these people? And and what do they have to say to us, these two uh, elderly saints of God? And so hopefully you had time to find Luke chapter 2. Did you find it yet? All right. Okay. Two people found it. The rest will look on the giant Jesus iPad. Luke chapter 2, verse 22, it says this. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just pause right there in case you're uh, wondering what's the context here. If you read the verses above that, which is always a good idea, you see this is baby Jesus. This is after uh, about over eight days here. He's been uh, circumcised, and now there is a purification right where they go to the temple, and they make a sacrifice, and they dedicate the firstborn uh, son to the Lord. And so that's with the hymns and and theys. That's his parents. This is baby Jesus here. They're presenting him to the Lord. Verse 23. As it is written, in the law of the Lord. You'll see that phrase there again. Every male who first, excuse me, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Again, notice how even as a baby, Jesus is perfectly fulfilling God's law. He is a perfect Savior. It's not one sin, and his parents uh, even made sure of that. It says a pair of turtle doves and a pear tree. No. It says, or two young pigeons. I always wondered if if the two turtle doves came uh, from this verse here. I don't really know, to be honest with you. And um, and by the way here, uh, this is a sacrifice, and this uh, in fact shows perhaps the socioeconomic status of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Uh, A a well-to-do family, or a family that was uh, at least middle class, uh, would would make a sacrifice of uh, a lamb, um or uh, most likely a lamb and and the uh, this is sort of the poverty sacrifice if you couldn't afford um you would then make a sacrifice that was a little bit cheaper the turtle doves or these um, pigeons there as as it were and so this is just again kind of reminding us of of the state that Jesus was born in and uh and the and the background of his family and so Keep reading with me. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. Boy, if if you're a a new parent, or if you remember how it is to be in those new parent days, this probably would have freaked you out, right? Just going to church and some uh, gentleman comes up and takes your kid and starts, you know, prophesying. And um, as as some uh, Christmas family experience, you know, don't touch new babies because you give them diseases like RSV. And so that's always important to to be careful about washing your hands before you touch new babies. Um, So I'm I'm sure Mary and Joseph like, what is about to happen with this guy taking our kid? uh, But this was a good thing that happened here with Simeon as he gave this prophecy and and this reminder. He knew who this Christ child was. And then there's one other character in the story here. As we navigate what um, Simeon says to the, the parents there, he says, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own Soul also, kind of that prophetic reminder that Jesus Christ would die and, and Mary, his mother, would be quite broken heart of that. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then verse 36, it says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years um, from when she was a virgin. And then verse 37 says, And then as a widow, Until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is God's word, family. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around your word written for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inerrant and true. God, speak to us through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that you'd help me, a sinner, communicate your truths today. And I pray for all of our hearts, God, that we would uh, be and have our eyes opened, have our hearts warmed to see and to savor Jesus Christ more and more, especially during this Advent season, God, we pray that you would do that great work in us. And Father, we glorify you today. And I just want to encourage you as you're sitting there in your seat to have a little conversation with God. Would you do that right there? Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, would you just say something to God like this in the quietness of your heart? to say, Lord, speak to me today. Lord, speak to me today. And say this. Lord, give me ears to hear. Lord, give me ears to hear and I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to obey. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Title for today's message is Longing for Christmas. I know all the kids are longing for Christmas. Maybe the parents are longing for Christmas to be over maybe you're not in any of those camps maybe it's just been another year maybe there's been some difficulties but i want us to focus on these two old jewish saints and um and and i'm i'm struck by this question why did god choose them why did god choose these two saints to reveal himself and why did why did luke put them in the gospel for us so that we would learn something from them. Because again, it's often, uh, we we don't talk about them at Christmas time, Simeon and Anna. And and before we get going too far into the text here, can we just give a shout out to all the senior saints here at Plaza? Senior adults working hard, loving Jesus, loving other people. Can we just give five seconds to give those, our elders, a round of applause? I just want to thank the Lord for them. We're a church that has all different ages. We need all different ages, and that's always important for a church body. Whenever you're lopsided age-wise, um, uh, we, we miss out on something. And I just want to give a shout-out because, man, I, I just know as a pastor, uh, some of our most, most faithful servants are people who are in those senior adult years. And where the world wants to tell you you're over the hill and you're out to pasture and you have no purpose, you have no value, I pray that is uh, not true in your own mind, that you would hear God's word to you, that you have a purpose and a reason. And uh, we're so thankful for you. Uh, you have a mouth. Uh, you may you know, somebody like, Pastor, I can't get out. I'm sorry, I can't come to this event. I can't do these things that I used to do. And listen, that's okay. There's a season for everything. But you've got a mouth. You've got prayers that you can pray. You've got wisdom. You got some of you got more wisdom in your pinky toe than 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 500 young people. And uh, and we need that wisdom, amen. And um and uh and so continue to share that with the the generations that come behind you. And younger people, I pray that you would be Um, Intent on seeking out uh, the elder saints of our church and and bless them and learn from them. And uh, I tell you what, I learned so much from them. So I'm so grateful. In fact, uh, the the senior saints here, they remind me of Psalm 92. Uh, We'll put it up on the screen maybe for you. Psalm 92 says this The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. Look at verse 14. They still bear fruit. When? In old age. They are ever full of sap and green. And look, some of you might be feeling like, I don't feel like I'm full of sap and green, uh, Pastor. But I'm here to let you know, as the Bible says, right? And uh, hey, the outside, the outer shell may be wasting away. That's what Paul said. He said, man, uh, outwardly I'm wasting away. But he said this, stay with me. Inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. Inwardly, I'm growing stronger. My faith is growing Deeper as I navigate the trials of life in older years, as I navigate all these things, my faith, my love is growing deeper. And so, boy, we just give a shout out as, as we just come to these two sort of grandparents of Christmas, if you will. And um, and so, why these two? Maybe, perhaps, because they're righteous. If you look in your Bible, there, um, verse twenty-five says that Simeon was righteous um, and devout. Um, it says about. Anna, that that she did not depart from the temple worshiping and fasting day by day, right? I mean, it says all those things. And and maybe that's the reason, that they were just these righteous saints. Uh, But but I see something kind of even more connecting these two. Uh, More importantly, I see that these are people who were longing for Christmas. They, They were hungering still, even in their old age, hungering and longing to see God do a work in their lives, in their city, in their neighborhood, in their church, in their temple as a word. They were, They they still had that desire. You know how it is? The older you get, you get a little more jaded about life. You kind of like been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you know. And, um, and there's something, especially about children. I'm not, I'm not saying that um, we should be immature like children, but there's something about children, especially at Christmas time, to teach us about faith and that longing, that anticipation. In fact, the word Advent means this period of waiting and longing. And so here, here is the way to kind of cap off Advent with Simeon and Anna, people who, who even though they were older in years, they were still believing God to do a great work. They were still longing. They hadn't lost hope yet. You know how our world can just be hopeless? These people still had great hope. No, God is on the move. We hadn't heard from Him in a long time, but I'm here to tell you God has made promises, and I know he's going to work. And, boy, thank God for their faith, amen? Look, look if, if you will, again at verse 25, right? And it says, Simeon, this man was righteous and devout, waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's the verse I want you to focus on. There. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And, and then as we look at Anna in verse 35, it says, the, the, "The verse 38, excuse me, the verse we read at the end, it says she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so they knew that God was on the move, and they had this longing, and they were waiting for this. And so the question I want us to to ask today is, how does God prepare our hearts for Christmas? How does God prepare a human heart to receive Him for who He really is? Have you thought about that? How does God prepare hearts for that? The answer is this. God prepares a human heart to receive Christ by stirring up these longings, these desires, for consolation and redemption that, listen, that can only come from Christ, that the world can't meet. No matter how much the world offers us, there is a longing in every human heart, young and old, that can't be met by this world. Amen? And so there is in us, let me just read that to you again. The answer is this. God prepares a human heart by stirring up a longing for consolation, for redemption that can only come from Christ, a deep and insatiable longing. That can only be filled by him that nothing in this earth could fill. There is this longing, there is a craving. And so let's 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 get to know your neighbor a little bit more and, and ask them. Say, reach over, to your neighbor, say, are, are you longing for Christmas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. Don't be shy. Are you longing for Christmas? You can be honest about your answer too. You can say, I, I kind of want Christmas to be over. Right, some of you have said that it's okay. This is a safe place. We take the Scrooges here too. The Grinches and Scrooges all welcome. Are you craving? Are you craving Christmas? You may be familiar with the song "O Holy Night," where it says, "Long lay the world in sin and error pining." I never knew what that word meant. And all I could just picture is like a pine tree or a pine coffin. Every time I sing that song, and that's just not the words I want to have. I don't want to picture a coffin like while well, I'm singing Christmas carols, you know. And, um, but that word pining is the same word for longing. It's this ache. It's this, ah, it's this, man, stuff is not right in my life. My life has been hard. Stuff is not right in our world. And I'm longing for something to be different. Stuff is not right in my body. Stuff is not right in my family. And I am yearning, I'm agonizing for a better place, for a better situation. And there is this longing, this ache, this pining inside of all of us. But a longing for Christ. We often try to satisfy with many other things, don't we? But it's really an ache, a longing for the only thing that can truly satisfy. I'm reminded of the words in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews says this, verse 28. And uh, I think we'll, we'll put it on the screen. It says, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Eagerly waiting for him. There should be an eagerness, a longing, a desiring, an ache for Christ. Paul wrote over in 2 Timothy 4, he says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have what? Loved his appearing. Some translations say longed for his appearing. Do you long for the appearing of Christ? Are you going to get a crown on that day, sir, ma'am? Are you like a Simeon or an Anna where you are just, man, you can't wait to see Jesus. Maybe some other Christmas songs can help you. I prepared a few for me to sing to you. I hope that's okay. We were doing karaoke at a youth party uh, this Friday night. I feel like a great pastor when they invite me back to the youth parties now. I feel at home with the teenagers, and I appreciate that. But I don't think they invited me because I was the pastor or because I'm cool. I think they just used me for my kids. And uh, that was the only reason I got invitation because my kids were going. But me and Miss Dusty and Donnie, we, we did some karaoke. And uh, let me tell you, karaoke is a fun thing. And um, But then as I started to sing, they they all had comments. About my singing. So, I, I I got a few Christmas songs. I'll take you back to 1965 um, with the Rolling Stones. Maybe you didn't know that they wrote a Christmas song, but it goes like this <clears throat> Me, 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 me. <clears throat> Let me just clear my throat there. Uh, you guys help me. You guys help me sing this. Y'all ready for this? I'll do the first part, you do the second part. It's real easy. You guys ready? Rolling Stone said, I can't get no y'all did so good. I was worried. I was like, I'm not sure how this crowd is. You guys know that one? Right? But he goes on. I can't get no. And you know, it's just satisfaction, right? Okay, we can go through the whole deal there. Because I try and I try. You didn't know that's a Christmas song. That was the song that Simeon and Anna were singing. They're waiting for Christ. And they're saying, I can't get no satisfaction in this world until he has come and filled with my heart. Maybe it's nineteen eighty seven and the great theologian um Bono from the band u two and he said, I have climbed the highest mountains, and I have run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you you see, I'm not even gonna say it because i, I everybody would just run out all right but but then he says this y'all and y'all finish this, y'all finish this for me he says. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. See, there is an ache inside of all of us. And I don't want to talk to you about the second coming. The first coming was Christmas. Jesus is going to come for a second coming to wrap up all of history. But I don't want to talk to you about a different coming of Christ. That's I like to call this the third one. It actually happens in between those two. The first at Christmas, the second as he wraps up history. The third coming is, is when he comes into a human heart But what we call conversion. When Christ you start a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and he changes your life. That's what I like to call the third coming. So how does God prepare our hearts for that? He does that by stirring up those longings. There was an old um, priest named Martin Luther, and um, maybe you've heard of him. And uh, his story of conversion illustrates this point very clearly, I believe. Uh, he had almost been struck by lightning, and he cried out to St. Anne. He said, St. Anne, help me, and I'll, I'll make a vow to become a monk. and um, and he actually came true on that vow. he entered the priesthood and the monastery, and as a monk, though, he was utterly unable to find peace with God. He sought God in every way the church of that day taught him through good works, through merits of the saints, through the process of confession and absolution, uh, through a bunch of other indulgences. He even messed around and read some other early church fathers through the ladder of mysticism. And then on top of all this, his superior. Said, Martin, you are now, you've been such a good monk, I'm going to reward you with a teaching position. You're going to teach theology at the university. And this became like a weight upon Martin Luther. He said, Man, I feel like the worst monk of all. I feel like the greatest sinner. How can I go and teach theology to these other people? And he was miserable. In fact, I'm going to read to you a quote. I think we'll throw it up there. You can uh, see what he says. These are his own words. He says, I greatly longed. Notice the word there. I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. And nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the justice of God. Because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and he deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, could you believe that? He followed all the rules of the church, faultless. He he carried out all the prayers. All the morning rituals, all the confession, went to Mass, said the, the, the various things. He was an impeccable monk. But Then notice what else he says. I stood before God as a what? Sinner, troubled in conscience. And I had no confidence that my merit would assuage Him, would satisfy Him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. See, folks, it's not about the religion on the outside. It's about the condition of our hearts. Do you love Christ, or are you hating God? Many people sit in pews and go to church day in and day out, and they hate God. They would never say that. And here is Martin Luther hating God in his heart. But he says, yet I clung to the dear Paul, and I had, check out the word here, a great yearning to know What he meant. I had a great yearning. Then he said this, night and day I pondered. Night and day I pondered. See how Martin Luther is is longing for something deeper than just religion? Until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement. The just shall live by his faith. That's there in Romans. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness, which is through grace and sheer mercy. Did you get that, folks? Righteousness is given to people who put their faith in Christ by the grace. That's a free gift, a Christmas gift, and the mercy of God. God justifies us through faith, through our belief, through our trust in Him. Thereupon, watch this, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through the open doors into paradise. He had longed. And God had stirred up up that longing for consolation there in Martin Luther's conscience, right, and and for redemption for his sin. He knew, okay, that, that he could not, by any other thing in this world, satisfy those aches and those issues that were going on in his heart. And that's how God does it over and over again. He's stirring up. So could it be that you're being frustrated this Christmas season? Could that be God graciously frustrating you by stirring up longings? Maybe you're facing something that has just bent your world upside down could i ask you to to ponder is god doing that is god allowing that to continue to stir up those longings for something greater because we often put our trust in lesser things don't we we put our trust in money put our trust in our own health put our trust in our job put our trust in a spouse in our children in our parents in our in our in our church put our trust in our country in our leaders and how many of you know Those are all human things that will fail us. But there is one whom we can trust. Amen? And God is the one who can satisfy every longing. So I want to show you, as we look at the text here, uh, why you should put all of your longings, all your eggs in the basket of Christ. Because there is no satisfaction. And you can sing with the Rolling Stones and with Bono that you can't get no satisfaction until you have met Christ. Number one is this. You can write this down. Reasons to put your longings on Christ is Jesus is our consolation. Jesus is our consolation. That was the the word there that Simon had used. I often wondered what does that word consolation mean. The word consolation is similar to the word console, right? If you have a friend going through a hard time, you console them, right? And um and the word actually means comfort received by a person after a loss. Disappointment, or it means to alleviate grief, a sense of loss, or to alleviate trouble that is surrounding you. Look with me at verse 25, where this is exactly what Simeon says. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The word consolation in the Greek actually is the same word used for the Holy Spirit in the in the rest of the New Testament. The word for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. Ask your neighbor, say, do you have a paraclete? That's how I like to remember that. You can go ahead Go ahead and ask him, do you have a paraclete? That's the Holy Spirit. Do you have the paraclete? Do you have the paraclete? Do you have the Holy Spirit? That's with you. In fact, the word paraclete means one, it actually means comforter or consoler. Jesus, um, elsewhere in the gospel, says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you a comforter. Not a blanket, folks, but I'm going to send you a comforter to be with you. And it actually means, the root word comes from one who comes alongside you. He comes alongside you, and that's what the Holy Spirit does, to console us, to comfort us in our our grief, in our loss. Some of us, we are so anxious, if we're honest, right? We are so overwhelmed by the things of this earth. We worry, and we worry, and we worry. We worry about what other people think about us. Worry about where we are in our stage of life. Am I in the right place? Do I have enough money for retirement? Am I going to make it? Worry about getting enough exercise and eating right. I worry about keeping in touch with friends and family members who live elsewhere. Worry about drinking enough water. Worry about my career. And will I be able to make a career change? We could go down the list, right? Some of us are sad and lonely and depressed because of things. Some of us have faced great trauma. Some of us have faced family separation. Some of us just, man, we are, we are dealing with a diagnosis that they've just got recently that the doctor called, and your heart sunk, and there is a need for consolation, right? Some of us just hate ourselves, if we're honest, right? We hate ourselves. We say all day long, falsehoods from the pit of hell, and we say, I'm nothing. I'm an idiot. I'm too this. I'm not a good enough Christian. Too fat. I'm too needy. I'm too loud. And we go about all these things, listening to the voice of the enemy, condemning ourselves and hating ourselves. And we need consolation. Amen. We need comfort, someone to come along, not with cheap comfort, right? Not with a Pinterest board, but just some encouraging sayings. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a Pinterest board for encouraging sayings. That's a good thing. But you know that comfort's not coming from there. It's got to come from a place that's deeper. Amen. We try so many things to comfort ourselves when we feel bad, don't we? When we feel lonely and depressed. When we feel that ache inside of us. Many of us, we eat, especially this time of year. And we eat, and we eat, and we eat some more. Some of us reach out to continuous bad relationships. There's a person you continue to call, and you continue to run to, and you know they are no good for you. But because they're close, because they're the only person that you, you feel like you can run to, you run to an abusive relationship because it's comforting. And yet you stay in that cycle. We watch a Hallmark movie, right? No shame in watching Hallmark movies. I like some of those. I will admit that as a man. If that means my man card has gone away, that's okay. But you can't continue to watch Hallmark movies thinking that's going to alleviate and comfort your heart in a deep way. Some of us, right, we just numb by scrolling, right? We just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. There's something, you know, numbing about just moving that thumb. And and we didn't really read anything. We just double tap and like and just keep moving and double tap and like and And, um, man, we keep ourselves busy. We keep ourselves busy with work and many other addictions. We drink, smoke weed. We turn to a billion other forms of addiction, like shopping. We could go down the list. But there is a greater comfort that God is offering each of us, a greater consolation. And it's in Christ. That's why we're really longing for Christmas all year long. This comfort, actually, um, uh, is also used in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Notice what the prophet spoke to the people of the Old Testament in Isaiah 40, 1 and 2. It says, comfort. That's the same word there for console. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak, what? Tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended. Some of us feel like we're in constant warfare. And her iniquity, her sin, her, her failures, they're what? They're pardoned. Oh, that's a beautiful verse there, isn't it? Consolation is the application of God's tender mercy, of God's gentleness to a war-weary people, to a sinful and broken people, a guilty people. When Jesus came and was born in that manger, amen, God became flesh and dwelt among us. And what a voice that he said, console, console my people. That's a beautiful thing. God's anger is past consolation that our Heavenly Father is here with us. Our sins are pardoned. And as Micah says, in fact, do we have that verse in Micah? Did we put up Micah 7? No? If it's not there, let's okay. I'm read it to you. It says, who is a God? Our brother Pete was, was. it is out there. He was quoting this, this morning, I believe, as we were praying before the service. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights, he delights to show what? steadfast love. Do you know God delights to forgive you? We often think God is so ticked at me right now because I keep coming to over the same old thing. The Bible says God delights in showing you steadfast love. That steadfast means He's not moving. Amen. He will love you like no one else will. If you're lonely, if you're looking for a a spouse, for a boyfriend, a girlfriend, there is a, a consolation that no other earthly human could feel. Then verse uh, 19 says, he will again have compassion on us. Watch this. He will tread our iniquities, that's our sin, underfoot, and he will cast, how many of our sins? All of our sins, where? Into the depths of the sea. If that's not a verse for you to memorize, I don't know what it is. My pastor, Pastor Lee, been the pastor here for about 30 years, and he said he would add to this verse, and that's okay, it was a, it was a good, friendly ad, not adding to the Bible in a bad way. And he would say, he would put up a sign that says, no fishing. All your sins are cast into the depths of the sea. And there's a sign that says no officials, so don't go digging up your old sins again. Let God remove them from you, but you've got to engage in that personal relationship with them. Now, somebody says, "What about this verse? The verse that you're reading, Pastor? This guy, Simeon, this 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 old man is waiting for the consolation of Israel." Some of y'all are thinking, "I'm not Israel. I'm not Jewish." Well, look with me at the rest of the text there, in verses um, 29 or verses 30, I believe. This is uh, Simeon's phrase back in the Gospel of Luke. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of how many people? All people, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for your glory. Jesus came for everybody, folks. So if you're thinking, well, did God come for me? Nobody is exempt Nobody is excluded from the consolation that comes through Jesus. Doesn't matter your past. There's no sin too great, sir, or ma'am, or child. There's no sin too great that God would not forgive you. Run to him. So point number one is this. Jesus is our consolation. Do you need that comfort and that consolation? Point number two is this. Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is our redemption. Redemption speaks of the need to be delivered from powers that still hold us in bondage now. Whereas consolation may be for our past mistakes and for the things in our past, redemption is, is often about now. There is a work of power to save from enemies that still threaten us to this day. The word redemption in Greek means this, to release for a, upon receipt of a ransom. To release someone who has been captured Once a ransom has been paid, someone's been kidnapped, and they've got to pay the ransom. And then they are released. That's what redemption means. It also means to liberate by payment. To deliver from evils of every kind, both internal and external. It comes from the root word for actually the price of redeeming slaves. When, when, When a slave was redeemed, that was the price of the money. That's where that word comes from. And so it has this idea of connected to those slaveries. It actually means to loosen or undo, to unbind, or to break chains. Oh, how God is the one who is breaking the chains off of us, who is setting us free day in and day out from our sin, from Satan, from our fears, from the things that are currently oppressing you and me. God is the one who sets us free. Amen. I find it interesting that as perhaps you read, I think it was even in the Daily Bread this week, if you get those, i you can get them as you exit. They're just little devotional books help you get into God's Word. And I think they were talking about how Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Do you know what 30 pieces of silver was the price for? It's the price for a slave. And here's Judas around Jesus this whole time. And, and, and though he was around Jesus, though he was religious, he didn't think any more of Jesus than of a common slave. And here is Jesus being betrayed, and, and, and all that the humans could pay for him was the price of a slave. But I find that interesting, that that's how God is redeeming us, who are slave and bondage to our own sin. Look with me at verses 36, here in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, right? This is what Anna is, is waiting for. Here is Anna. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. and She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband for seven years when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, speak of him to all who were waiting. Notice, and she speaking to people in the temple too. There was a group of people waiting for the what? Redemption of Jerusalem. Oh, how God is redeeming us. Do you long to be free? Do you long to be released from sin, from the pain that your body is in? Do you long to to have the chains of of your fear, of your anxiety, of your addiction broken, anger, lust? Some of y'all are preparing for people to come over, and you know you just can't stand your sister, right? You can't stand her. The way she brags, the way she does this, the way she does that, she's going to be sitting in your living room, and, and you're... And, and and you don't know why. You've tried to ask God to help you with this. And you just see you with that because you know she's going to say something. And you're just, you can't stand it anymore. What would it be like to be free from that? To just let your sister be and it doesn't bother you one lick. That's redemption, folks. That's the breaking of the chains of anger, of, of, of years, years of, of bitterness between you and a family member that have been going on. The tit for tat and these remarks and his remarks and her remarks. What would it be like to be free from that? Man, why does it make you so angry? For some of us, we fear what others are thinking of us, the pressure to get Christmas all right, the pressure to make everything look right, the decorations, the food is mounting. Some of us, especially our teenagers, man, we appreciate you guys, but there is a pressure upon you guys to look a certain way, and and all of us have felt that to know what it's like to get acne and to be like I wish I could just hide my entire face right to to hate your nose and your ears and your hair and wish you had someone else's hair and someone else's teeth and nose and and you and what would it be like to be free from that bondage that is just constantly attacking you there are many other bondages to know that you're loved unconditionally regardless of how your family's treated you or your grades or your or your uh, bank account to know that God is for you and so there is this redemption, the setting us free. Oh, what a beautiful thing. This word redemption is, is only uh, used here in the Gospel of Luke back in chapter 1. If you guys remember Zechariah, John the Baptist father, he actually used this word in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 69, he, he begins to quote and he goes on. This is the, the poem, the rap song I said the other week that Zechariah wrote. And, and he goes on to talk about that in chapter 1. And he says this beginning in, in verse 68 and 69, but he uses that same word. He said, blessed be the God of Israel who has visited and redeemed his people. And he's raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. He's, he's raised up a horn. This idea of a horn is strength. This idea of redemption is God freeing you and giving you the strength you need to face every day and every night as you prepare for Christmas this week. No. And seek Christ, church. So, as we wrap up and we prepare, do you need consolation? Those longings in your heart for healing and restoration from your past losses and miseries in life, the grief, the loneliness, the abuse, the disappointment? Do you need redemption? That power to overcome those things that are chaining you? You'll find it in no place else than in Jesus Christ. I want to close with this quote from C.S. Lewis, brilliant man, writer of the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books. But this is what he said. We'll put it on the screen. It says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, amen? Some of y'all know that all too well. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. And then he says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Can I just let that sit there for a second? If I find in myself a desire for which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, even in this room, there are some of you who everything is going right, everything is perfect. Your finances are great. Your family is great, but there's still a deep longing inside of you that has not yet been satisfied, even though everything is perfect. That's because you were made for something else. He continues, if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably the earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only, watch this, to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. That would be Christ. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand to never despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, right? And on the other, never to mistake them for something else, which they are only a kind of copy or an echo or a mirage. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying these blessings, I can't see my family, I can't see my finances, I can't see the Christmas celebration as the thing, as my idol. I've got to see it as a copy And oh, that is pointing me to Christ. It's an echo. It's a mirage. Then he says this, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. May I challenge you this Christmas to press on to the country which you have been made for, to the person for which you have been made for, Jesus Christ, that no earthly thing, the greatest gift, and we say this all the time, but we have a hard time believing it, the greatest thing that any person can receive this Christmas is Christ. He truly is the greatest gift. Why? Because he satisfies longings that nothing on this earth could satisfy. And we will search, and we will scratch, but until you have found it in Christ... You will continue like the Rolling Stones, and you won't get no satisfaction. So let's pray, and we'll respond to God. Let's heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I want to pray for all of us. Every situation is different here. Every family member different. And Lord, each of us have longings that are stirred up that can only be met by you. So I pray this Christmas for myself, for my own family, for this church family, God, that we would set our affection and our desires on Christ. Oh, God, that you would do that in us. Oh, God, that you would do a mighty work and you would, you would as you are so gently, so graciously peeling our hands off the idols that we cling to, idols that we trust in for security, idols of, of money, idols of our homes, idols of our own self-pride and arrogance in our ability to do things. God, thank you that you give us something worthwhile to hold. An infinite God wrapped in flesh coming to us in the humble form of a manger. Thank you for that. I pray for the person here who does not have a relationship with Christ. They may be religious. They may have been in church every day like Martin Luther. They may have been like many others, and they do not have a love and a longing and a desire and a passion for Jesus. And yet you've spoken to them this morning. You have pricked their heart. You have awakened their eyes. and They need to receive Christ. If you know that's you this morning, whatever your stage, I invite you to receive Christ. You might want to say something as simple as this in your heart. Something like this. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. I realize I've been longing for you my whole life. I realize I've been longing for you my whole life. I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. And I give myself to you now. Give myself. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. Help me, Jesus, to follow you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, it's not a magical prayer. God already knows the longings of your heart. And if you have received the greatest gift, we want to celebrate that. You can put on your connection card. You can come to the front during this next song and let myself, one of our elders or deacons know. You can tell the person who you came with today. They brought you. They've been longing for you to satisfy your longings of the greatest treasure. We just want to celebrate and help you take your next step. How, how, whatever that looks like for you, we're here as a church family, not to embarrass you, but to help you grow in that relationship, just like every relationship needs to grow. Happens through time spent together, knowing one another, we want to help you be able to walk with God more faithfully. So, Father, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.